GoneMobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Hey everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Gone Mobile. This episode is being recorded on October 15th, 2013. For this episode, we're joined by John Peppers, an engineer from the company HitSense. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, how's it going? It's good. And I, I, like I was saying before, I guess I'm surrounded by Johns for this episode, so this this should get nice, <laughs> nice and confusing for me. <laughs> Two Johns are better than one. Uh, if so say you. So um, I guess just to get things going real quick, I'm, you know, uh, not Canadian, John. <laughs> Can you just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what kind of stuff you're working on? Yeah, sure. I, I work for a, a company called HitSense. We're uh, located in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And in the past few years, we've really been getting acclimated with Xamarin. Um, I'm a Xamarin MVP, which is, which is pretty cool. Uh, we build everything from, you know, business apps that customers come to us and, you know, cross-platform apps with Xamarin. And, you know, we also have gone down this path of building our own in-house games, which, you know, kind of makes us unique in that we kind of do a lot of different types of apps. Cool. Well, it's definitely awesome to have you on the show. We haven't uh, we haven't had a chance to really talk mono game or anything like that yet, so this this should be a lot of fun. Um, just to kind of you know kickstart the conversation a little bit, I guess just because we haven't covered it on the show yet, um, can you just give kind of a you know the elevator pitch or just a high level view of what mono game is and what it brings to the table? Mono game is a, a cross platform implementation of XNA. And if you're familiar with XNA, it's basically a C-sharp game framework that Microsoft developed for Xbox and Windows. Um, and they were really great APIs, but, you know, only for Windows. And so the Monogame team um, took, took those APIs and developed a backend to run on iOS, Android. And, you know, even on Windows 8, uh, XNA support was dropped, and they, they made that happen with Monogame. Yeah, I, I find that part fascinating. That the only way to actually run, you know, C sharp and XNA like that in Windows eight and in, in, run it in Microsoft's App Store is through a third party component. But you know, I guess it's cool that it exists. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's great because you you get at you get nearly a hundred percent code sharing. You know, depending on you know what kind of native stuff you want to do on it on your app on each platform. Right. So which platforms are supported currently by Monogame? Um, well, of course, iOS, Android, Windows 8. Um, they recently got Windows Phone 8. Um, they also have uh, like the PS Vita. And uh, they actually just announced today that they're going to be having PS4 support as a paid option, which was you know, kind of some big news. I hadn't really heard anything going on with that, but um, sounds like it's going to be a, a cool thing. So, you know, the, you know, with any kind of abstraction that you introduce, um, you know, some, some abstractions end up being a little bit leakier than others. You know, how, how well does this XNA abstraction over all these different platforms work? Like, do the platforms end up leaking through a lot or do you really get pretty solid code reuse without a lot of uh, headache introduced by it? Yeah, it is pretty much, uh, n not a problem. Um, XNA was developed on top of DirectX. So on, uh, for example, on Windows 8, uh, they still use DirectX. They use a, another open source library called SharpDX. And so, you know, they were able to map everything one-to-one -one for the most part. 
you know, even on the other platforms where it uses OpenGL underneath, um, you know, it's such, so similar to DirectX. There's not really any anything you have to do differently. You still use the core, you know, foundation like things like a game class and a sprite batch class, and you know, there's also built-in objects like vector two and and rectangle and that kind of thing. So with uh, X and A, like that's a Microsoft thing initially, like you said. And um, does the Xbox 360 still do X and A? Is that still a target platform uh, using Monogame? Are you able to target that as well? Well, if if you're going to target that platform, you'd probably still use X and A. Um, we actually still use it. Um, like while we're developing, a lot of our developers use Windows, and so you know we have an X and A project, and all the code runs there, and it runs on Monogame. Um, it's just it depends on, you know, if XNA is there and works, um, it's, there's no reason not to use it over Monogame. Um, but it's not there everywhere. So what's, like, what's really the big difference then between XNA and Monogame if Monogame is an implementation of XNA? I guess the main difference is XNA is uh, Microsoft-supported and, well, it not any longer, but you, you do have to use, you know, Visual Studio 2010. Uh, if you're using XNA, unless you do some weird hacks to get it to work in 2012, which which we do, but you know it's not the best situation. <laughs> like what? Like how weird of hacks are we talking about to get that working? That's interesting. <laughs> uh, you, you basically have to copy a bunch of project templates and DLLs from the 2010 folder, you know, in program files to the 2012 folder, which. It's pretty pretty weird that it works. Like in my head, I, there's no way I would think that that would work. But um, there's still some bugs with it. Like you can't do some custom things with the content processor. There's some things like that that don't work. Does that follow through into 2013 as well? The same technique? I haven't tried it. Um, just mainly because being so busy, it's hard to install you know, beta versions. You know, Studio. <laughs> if it ain't broke, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it ain't broke and, you know, moderately hacked, you know, why touch it? <laughs> True. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that comes to mind and I'll, I'll caveat this by saying that I'm, I'm definitely not a game developer. I, you know, I've always been interested in game development. I find it fascinating, but it's not something that I've ever been able to really dedicate the time to. And I definitely, you know, I'm I'm coming at this conversation definitely from more of you know you know normal application developer standpoint. Um, so so I'm just very curious about you know game development in general. Um, one of the things that I'm wondering, you know, like one of the classic debates between you know high level languages like C sharp versus low level lower level languages like C or C plus plus is that higher level ones, you know, in theory don't really get you close enough to the metal to get the the performance that you need or memory management that you need. Um, have you noticed that at all? Have you had any problems, you know, using such a high-level language across all these different platforms for your games? Well, so far, um, I mean, you definitely have to think differently than a business app. Um, it's like you, your programs are this large state machine that's called continuously in a loop, and you know you can't do things like have properties all over the place. You tend to have more fields, even you know, public fields or, you know, things that don't sound good to a, you know, a normal <laughs> you know, business app developer. Um, but, you know, using C Sharp, um, the benefits just outweigh the costs so much. Um, 
you know, you try not to do things like, you know, your code's running all the time, so you shouldn't new up objects in the middle of the loop. Um, you try to do things like reuse objects or, you know, if, you know, always do a performance test, but, you know, find, you might find out that a struct works better in situations and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it's definitely different. Um, when I first got into it, I found it weird, especially like, you know, we hired a guy who, who was a game developer, but he had less C-sharp experience than me. So I'm like, oh, we got to use properties and virtual, <laughs> you know, and, and it's just not not a good idea when you, you got to have speed. And, you know, using using things like public fields and recycling objects, you'd never have to do in a business app. Um, but, you know, in a game, that's doing things like that. We were, We never had to do anything that was super low level, we could just usually improve our code. Like maybe we'd look at a piece of code and, and get rid of some stuff we're doing in type loops and, you know, maybe move some variables outside of the loop and reuse them and those kind of things. So this is stuff you've seemed to have learned the hard way then. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't, wasn't terribly difficult. Um, most of this stuff we've learned while developing draw stick man, uh, Epic. And it was just at the point where, you know, in that game, there are large levels that are, you know, several times the the device's screen size, and you know, we were having problems with having you know four hundred trees in a in a level, and you know, stuff like that. And and that's just when you start to hit those those issues. If you're building Angry Birds, you know, you may not have as much of a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems like you need a tool that's kind of the opposite of something like ReSharper, just to you know to make you not abstract things away or to, yeah. to remove those layers. Um, yeah. But yeah, as, as a business app developer, consumer app developer, it's that really, I don't know. It just feels weird to me to, to think like that, but it kind know, of guess... sounds like a license to write the code that you always wanted to write. <laughs> You're like, this for loop is so fast that I can't believe it. You know, and, and in a business app, you're like using reflection or, you know, other stuff that's slow and it's fine, you know, so it's definitely different. Exactly. So, so you mentioned briefly there, uh, your game draw Stickman, which, you know, was, was pretty popular. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it came out, um, October of 2012, I think it was, um, we released with when windows eight came out, um, which was, which was a good experience. Microsoft featured us on their store and kind of stuff like that. Um, we've won two Webby Awards this year for the best um, tablet game and best handheld game, which was, which was really cool. And we've had you know millions of, of downloads across all the platforms. So it, it was really um, the you know being our first game. It was a, a huge success for us. You know we didn't expect to have that kind of a um, attention so so what drove you you know you said it was your your first game so it's kind of your foray into all that stuff like what drove you guys to to take the leap into game development well one of our um he's he's more of a, a designer and he does does some programming he is one of the few that does both but his name's phil he's an employee at hitsense he in in his kind of 20 percent time he built a website called drawstickman.com as kind of a marketing tool for HitSense to show what we can do, um, you know, just to kind of get some press. And the website blew up and, you know, took our servers down. We had <laughs> millions of page views. Um, 
and you know and from that experience we felt like uh the franchise that well at the time is only a website we thought we could turn it into a franchise and actually build a real game around the concepts um you know of drawing a little sick man and and then being able to control him throughout the game so why uh mono game instead of something like unity 3d i mean like what for the average developer who's starting out in this gaming development in c sharp what are the the differences between those types of platforms our main draw to use mono game was just you know the fact we were building a 2d game we we didn't want to um you know get into the complexity of 3d with our first game and we wanted something that you know we could code in c sharp and would work on all, all these platforms um because you know we already had strong c sharp skills um, and we we're already using xamarin um so it just it just really made sense uh unity is really um, not only just you know a, a framework; it's also like an entire engine. So they have physics and they have editors where you can make 3D models and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, we just didn't really need that power for a 2D game that was more of a you know casual, kid-friendly um, game. So does that mean that we can't do 3D in mono game, or is there a, the ability to do that as well? Now you you can do three game three D games. Um, Infinite Flight for is a good example, and Armed are both using three D. Um, it's just you know you you could argue you know Unity is is would work as well with three D. Um, so you know for us it was you know there's a license cost for using Unity, and then there's a learning curve for our animators and so forth. So. So with uh, Mono Game, I mean, and, and Unity. So Unity's got some stuff like physics engines and things like that involved that help you out a little bit as a developer. Are there any options out there for Mono Game to do with physics and just sort of abstracting away engines for the developer? Yeah, there are actually a lot of open source projects that are on top of XNA or Mono Game. Um, one of them is Coco's 2D XNA, which. Um, is, is supported by a lot of the guys who work on mono game. It, it uses uh, the Cocos 2D library that many games use on iOS. Um, and they, they ported it to C sharp to run on top of mono game. So games like, you know, angry birds, for example, uses Cocos 2D, you know, any game where you're slinging something on the screen and it bounces on iOS, it, it most likely uses Cocos 2D. So. So if I'm a developer, never made games before, um, like Greg already admitted to, and I have to fess up to myself, I've always wanted to take a stab at it, but I've just really never gotten the push to actually get it done. Where do I start with mono game? I think the the best way to start would be to you know get a, a simple idea, like a game that a kid could play <laughs> that's 2D, and, and try to build it on, on one platform, you know, use learn XNA a little bit. There's all kinds of XNA tutorials. And, you know, once, once you get that simple game working and, and figure out, you know, this mindset of having a game loop and, um, you know, changing your, your thought patterns from, you know, business apps, I, I think you could move on to something more complicated. What's the setup process then? Like, can we just go to uh, like mono game site and download things and we're off running or? Yeah, the easiest way, um, there there is a Windows installer, which will get you the DLLs, and then there is 
also um, on the Mac, you can do some work to like install um, uh, the monogame libraries on the Mac too. Um, I think it's just like a, a Xamarin Studio like extension or something. Um, the only thing that's a little strange is is when you're preparing your assets, you do have to have Windows and you know Visual Studio 2010 at the moment. Um, th they're working on it pretty well. I know in the a, a few days ago, um, one of the monogame developers released a way to make it work on the Mac, and it's still kind of in beta. But I, th I think in the next few months, they should be completely non-reliant on XNA. We'll, we'll just have to see. So you mentioned a few times, um, you know, the, the relationship with, you know, between Monogame and the, the Xamarin tools. Um, so does that mean that, that Monogame basically sits on top of, you know, Xamarin for iOS and Android? Is there any, are there any other requirements besides that? No, it, it does sit straight on top of Xamarin iOS and Android. Um, Xamarin employees do contribute to the project. Um, and I, I think Xamarin might help them with their website and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, just a standard license uh, of Xamarin will, will get you uh, the ability to deploy on iOS and Android. I know they they were working on getting... Um, the monogame library is whitelisted, so they didn't count toward, uh, you know, the Xamarin Starter Edition. Um, I don't know if that's happened yet. You know, I have a full license, so it's not, <laughs> not, not my problem really. So, uh. <laughs> well, I have to imagine that the I think it's like 32k of bytecode or something. You know, that that probably doesn't get you too far in games, I would imagine. Well, you know, if it's a simple game with only a couple. You know, a physics game or something. You know, maybe you could make it happen. That's true. I guess a lot of space would actually go towards assets and things that that wouldn't count towards that. Yeah. Um, so on a totally different note, and again, this is just me coming from you know a totally different background to games. You know, one of the things that that I've always kind of struggled to get my head around um, is just like what the, I've always really wondered what the testing story is like. You know, when you're when you're developing these games. Like I know that if I was you know doing a normal line of business app, you know, I would have my suites of unit tests and integration tests and all these things. But I have to imagine that that kind of just goes out the window when you have, you know, your game loop and you have all these very visual things that are hard to test, or maybe they're not. And can you speak yeah, to that a it, bit? Um, honestly, the testing strategies I've seen have been pretty terrible. Uh, <laughs> what we tend to do, and you know, maybe because we're from a business background, we try to do it more than most game developers. We we try to take things like algorithms or or things that are not dependent on the whole game running, and and we'll write small unit tests for those. But it's hard to really test interactions between you know diff multiple objects at a time and you know that kind of thing. So you're really reduced to manual testing and for you know a lot of it and and so what we try to do is have you know we'll have a lot of beta users like basically everyone who works at HitSense and they'll um, they'll play the game throughout the process and and we use a service called test flight um, mm -hmm. that helps us deploy it to everyone and it's free and we can get crash reports and they can send us feedback and stuff like that and we try to really take advantage of tools like that um, it's actually funny we we've been you know, we've looked into Unity a lot, and one of the questions I ask a Unity employee is, how, what is your unit testing story? 
and you know he was a sales type guy and i'm not sure he knew what i meant which was <laughs> disheartening but <laughs> like what is that you know so so you basically have you know human continuous integration going on you know all the time mm-hmm. i mean yeah. that has to be frustrating though i imagine like if you have some sort of you know something that goes wrong, especially when you bring in visuals into the equation, you know, you could have something that's a couple of pixels off, you know, 15 minutes into the end of a level, like debugging that and reproducing that has to get pretty frustrating. Yeah. And, and luckily, you know, maybe it is the style of how we developed, which maybe I could go into a little bit. Um, our animators, they actually lay out things in, in flash and, um, what we have done is we've written an extension to Flash that takes those animations and spits them out in a format that we can load in C Sharp. And, um, you know, so things the animator has done usually come out on the screen exactly as they saw them in Flash. Um, and it, it gives them the flexibility to be creative without having to, like, us make a build and deploy it to an iPhone. And, you know, they can just move things around and stuff like that. Right. So that that's something that you guys have built in-house for yourselves um, as opposed to something that's available externally? Yeah, and and mainly because it's a little patchworky. It's not a full product. And it's not as much work as you might think. You know, it sounds like this complicated thing, but we might have done it, the original version, in a week, and we've kind of tuned it and built onto it as, as time went on. But we even added support for uh, Expression Blend in our last... Uh, our last game just because you know, Flash is good at making, uh, you know, character animations, but it's terrible at UI. So, you know, we we tried to add uh, blend so that we could do things like horizontal alignment and text wrapping and, you know, everything that you want to do in the UI, um, which has been a great help on this last game. So when you're talking about testing um, and we're talking about mobile apps, the number of platforms and devices on each platform comes to mind. How do you find supporting several platforms and on something like Android where there's just such a huge combination of devices? Yeah, um, that's where we try to get. We we have a lot of test devices that hit since. Mm -hmm. Last time I counted, I think it was nearly 40. Uh, so wow. we, we do have a lot of manual testing going on on the devices. And the other thing, you know, to be aware of with games is just that, um, you know, it's so many screen resolutions, it's hard to letterbox a game. Um, so we try to do things like make all our UIs dynamic where they can stretch or dock to the edges. And then the actual game, we try to, like, make it a camera position. So, like, if you're on a big screen, you might see more of a level. And on a smaller device, you know, maybe the edges are cropped off, but you can see what's going on and be able to play. So is that the biggest uh, issue that you have to deal with with multiple devices and platforms is, like, the screen size? For the most part, I mean, we do find, you know, occasional strange issue or your things just work a little differently on this platform but it, it's normally things that are uh, platform specific features uh, like you know push notifications or um, you know game center or you know google play related features those kind of things and what about developing for like a tablet as opposed to a phone um, is there something does model game help out with that at all no, for the most part, uh, it is just 
uh, you've got a number of pixels and you draw what you can draw on your own. Uh, they don't really provide anything, like XNA doesn't really provide anything to help you with that. So that's where we tend to use three different sizes of assets. So we, we kind of follow the pattern on, uh, you know, iOS uses we will have a, a small image for 3GS and medium one for you know, the iPhone 4 or iPad and then a large one for the Retina iPad. And have you noticed, uh, you know, any big performance differences across devices too? Like I have to imagine that that becomes especially prevalent on Android where there's just such a wide range of devices out there. Yeah, um, that's why we, we try to target, um, you know, Android 2.3 and higher. Um, I mean, there's definitely a huge difference uh, when you go from like a Galaxy S to an S4. And so, the you know, the biggest thing that helps is to be able to load the smaller images on those slower devices, um, which it, it usually goes along with the screen resolution. You know, luckily you don't have a slow phone with a huge screen. Uh, so, you know, you get the benefit of loading the small images. Uh, and a lot of our problems have actually, it's strange, but uh, some of our games will run fast on the 3GS, but then slow on the iPhone 4 because it's got the larger screen and then the processor is not that much better. So, we, you know, we, we do things, we did have to do some things like hiding some dynamic things in the background or, you know, on certain devices if we, you know, had to write something to detect them. Yeah, I'd be curious to to kind of dig in, uh, you know, go down that road a little bit more. If you if you have any other you know general pointers or just experiences you can share around you know different types of performance tuning or memory you know memory management tricks that you've picked up along the way to to really cater for these devices. Yeah, like I said, you know, using um, using uh, recycling objects is a is a great one. Um, Another good one is um, not using things that use reflection like um, a JSON serializer, for example. Um, we try to, use, like when possible, we try to use binary reader and writer, and it's just so much faster for loading levels and, and that kind of thing. Um, some other tricks offhand, I'm trying to, trying to think. I can't, if I pulled up a list, I have a great blog post on this. <laughs> well we can at least link to that <laughs> yeah yeah i'll i'll see if i can get you guys that so then I'd, I'd be curious then you know kind of digging in a little bit more to the the platform story you know you mentioned a little bit before about you know taking advantages of taking advantage of things that the platform the different platforms offer things like game center on ios or google play services um do you have do you have experience using these different services within your games yeah um our, our latest game which came out only like a couple weeks ago is called battle pillars and it's you know a real time strategy um kind of not really tower defense it's more of a tug of war um, but we we added multiplayer to that game, and you know through that we use Game Center. Um, so you can start a match with a friend through Game Center, or you can auto match a random person, you know, that is also trying to auto match someone, which is pretty cool. Uh, and and what that API gives you is you can send raw bytes across, and then on the other device you receive them. And so we you know, came up with our own protocol for sending messages, you know, between uh, the two games and then, you know, had to, of course, 
write some logic to try to synchronize the game state on both devices. Um, so we abstracted out that um, high level, you know, sending a byte array across. And you know, on on iOS we use Game Center, while on Android we take advantage of Google Play services, which has the exact same functionality, um, just you know, of course, different APIs underneath. Um, which you can still do all the tricks you learned in business apps, like using interfaces or you know, overriding methods. It's just better to only do them on platform-specific type things and things that aren't called continuously throughout the game loop and that kind of thing. So those ones are pretty easy then to uh, map to each platform in a common way. Yeah, the the only one that was a little different, um, we, we're also on the Samsung store, uh, and they you can't use Google Play um, APIs from you know an app through the Samsung store, but they have their own SDK called Samsung Cord, which does the same thing, but it's just local on Wi-Fi. Uh, so in, in that case, we had to do it a little different, like it, it just loads a list of games locally on Wi-Fi, and then and then from there it goes off and kind of does the same thing, sending byte arrays back and forth. So with you abstracting things out like that, are you able to have like someone on iOS playing someone on Android, or is it still limited to each specific platform? Yeah, sadly, we you can't. You can actually use Google Play game services on iOS. They they do have an iOS library, uh, but that's not something we wanted to support. I mean, it does. It does seem really cool, but there's just enough users to where if you hit auto match, you always get someone to play, you know, at, at least right now for us. So um, it's not a huge deal, I guess, unless you're wanting to play your friend um, and they might happen to have an Android phone. Right. Well, it kind of makes sense to support the, the native platform's uh, main way to do that, right? And we could write a cross-platform version. Uh, we might... You know, do that as a fallback, you know, may, a way to maybe play locally over Wi-Fi. It's just a, a normal C-sharp code to do it, um, which would be something if we want to go to Amazon or some other app store, or, you know, that it would make sense to do that. So which app stores are, uh, is this, this new game available in right now? Uh, right now, Battle Pillars is, is just on iOS, Google Play, and Samsung. Um, in the future, we probably will will take it to more. We'll have to see. It's just, you know, kind of a popularity contest. It's it's not a, a lot of work to port to the new platforms. It's just, you know, there are things like in-app purchases and platform-specific things that we'd have to re-implement. And then, of course, we'd have to test. So, and then you you have the problem of, you know, update updating those apps later on. You know, if you're on 10 app stores, it becomes a huge chore to, to do an update. All right. So you mentioned in-app purchases, which is another thing that I, I definitely wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, so then I, I take it you're, you're taking advantage of that in battle, battle pil pillars. <laughs> it's a little tongue twister. Yeah. I'll get, I'll get the name right they're by the end of it. They're caterpillars <laughs> that battle. They're, they're not pieces of uh, concrete like some people think. Anyway. Sounds like it should be a sci-fi movie or something. Yeah, yeah, like Sharknado. Or, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, what was the question? I think I got, got sidetracked. Uh, In-app purchases. So oh, you, that's you, right. <laughs> we'll get back there sooner uh, or later. Yeah, we, we kind of did the same trick that you know we did for multiplayer. Uh, we have a common 
you know, interface for making in-app purchases, and then, you know, you have to implement them on each platform, um, which they're not too difficult. I mean, the, the, the thing to know really is that, well, we learned a lot from Drawstick Man and that we had a, a free app that only had a couple levels, and then we had a, a paid app that had the full game. And the thing we found was there's a lot of piracy going on, especially in China. And it is also more of a pain to have two projects and you have to manage two different apps. And um, really the best situation is to have a free app with in-app purchases to, to do something. You know, and Stickman, it would have been better to have a purchase to unlock the levels. And uh, Battle Pillars has a currency system, so you know, our purchases are merely buying some amount of apples that you can spend to upgrade your units and, and things like that, which it, it seems, you know, kind of, if you've played Plants vs. Zombies 2, you can see the transition from what they did in Plants vs. Zombies 1. Um, you know, 1 was just $1.99, but 2 is free, and, you know, you unlock coins and all these power-ups, and they have a lot of things that you can't get unless you buy them. So, uh, sadly, I think the whole app game marketplace is, is moving in that direction. Uh, you know, a lot of gamers don't like it, but, you know, personally, I would rather get a chance to try a game before I buy it. And, you know, if I'm really good, maybe I don't have to spend money. That's just another thing you can achieve. Hey, I beat this game and I didn't <laughs> spend any money, you know. Well, especially on something like Apple, uh, on their ecosystem, where as a developer, you don't really have a, a way to allow players to try it besides adopting the freemium model I, I like that as a, a game player yeah like having having the ability to to try it out first yeah definitely um the free trials are definitely cool on windows platforms um we take advantage of it um it's just you know kind of another thing you have to do another thing you have to implement yeah so you mentioned push notifications earlier as well uh in our discussion and uh what are you using for push notifications? Um, it's it's kind of cool. We're we're using Windows Azure. Um, we we're getting by with only blob storage and then notification hubs. So, you know, in the game, the user has the option to log in with Facebook and then um, you know can put their save on our, our blob storage. Uh, additionally, uh, we use the Windows Azure notification hubs and they have a, a small SDK, SDK you can use on uh, Android and iOS that basically registers the device and then you really don't have to do anything. You don't, uh, you, you don't have to you know, set up a server or a database to store all this info. Um, we're mainly using them to send out little updates like, hey, there's a new update uh, or you know, check out this new game. You know, we're using them for more annoying purposes, but uh, you could use them for you know full. They have ways to send notifications to only specific users and that kind of thing. So, did you say that you were using uh, Azure for blob storage for saving game state too? Yeah, just the user's progress and their um, apples. You can actually um, save your game on iOS and then keep playing on, on, uh, Android, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, and, and we're able to do that just because, um, you know, 
talking with blob storage is just a normal C sharp library and we're able to take advantage of that. Have you had any problems using Azure for this kind of thing or is it scaled pretty well for you? Um, we haven't had any problems with scaling because there's no, there's no code running that we have. Uh, we don't really have anything to scale up. Uh, so far we've, we haven't even spent, I think it's like $20 or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. uh, uh, not a huge number of users have logged in with Facebook, probably, you know, maybe 10% of our total user base so far. Um, and then the push notifications, it's, Again, a monthly fee based on how many you send out. So we we haven't sent any out quite yet. We're you know we're trying not to annoy anyone. Right. So that's interesting that you mentioned you know only ten percent of users are logging in with Facebook. Does that mean the other ninety are logging in with some other means, or just not logging into yeah, the game at yeah, all? Yeah, I think a lot of people are just a, a little scared. Um, you know, there's so many apps that like post. They're afraid it's going to post on their wall and say they earned coins or something. Yeah. Right. Um, we we also could probably do a better job of advertising what it does, and you know we might have an update doing that because our game right now doesn't really say what logging in to to Facebook does for you, other than you know it saves your game, and people may not care if they just have an iPad and they play it only on their iPad. Right, that makes sense. So I've noticed, uh, I, I did take Battle Pillars for a run earlier, and nice job, by the way. It looks pretty good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I noticed um, some integration with Tapjoy. Um, do you want to talk about that and, and how that's gone for you guys, if it's been pretty successful? Yeah, overall. Um, and, and maybe we yeah maybe we should start with what Tapjoy is, if yeah, not everyone's familiar with it. it. Yeah. Uh, Tapjoy, it, it's an it's a SDK that developers can put in their apps as a alternate way of users getting in-game currency. So like you can pay 99 cents with an in-app purchase to get apples, or you could go to Tapjoy and watch a video and earn some apples. And they also have other high price items. Like you could sign up for a discover card or, you know, maybe you use this coupon and a website and buy something. And, and the developer in general get the same amount of money as if you know the user had done an in-app purchase, except the user can do it in small increments. Like they don't have to spend an entire dollar or earn you an entire dollar. And so that's not the user pain then. It, like that's the people advertising or, or having their offers on Tapjoy that essentially then are, that are paying you. Yeah, yeah, correct. And and so it, we we've kind of found that it, it generates maybe thirty percent more revenue that you would not have. Because you've always you've got that little slice of people who are really cheap, and they'll go watch a video, but they won't give you a dollar. So you're, it's kind of <laughs> you're hitting that little target market. Uh, and is that on like does Tapjoy support iOS as well, or is that just an Android thing? That I mean, that's the only place I've seen it personally. But no, it's on iOS, Android. Uh, they actually have Windows Phone, and um, I think maybe BlackBerry, which is strange, but. Uh, wow. <laughs> we have to average up, I think, one BlackBerry mention a show so far, so thanks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I guess while it lasts, we have to. But I take it you guys aren't really actively targeting BlackBerry with your games. <laughs> no, if, if, if there was a Xamarin product and we felt like we could make money, uh, or, or, you know, an alternative, alternative thing that might happen is a customer asks for it, but none of those things have happened. So, 
Right. Well, you could always just make a, a text-based version that uses BlackBerry Messenger or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned a little bit before about, you know, customers being cheap or unwilling to pay for stuff. I mean, I, do you have any advice or, you know, experience from, like, going through the process of trying to, you know, come up with these games and generate buzz for your games and really just maintain user interest, you know, player interest over a long period of time. Like, it seems like, you know, the the uptake for a lot of these games will just be really, really rapid and, you know, everyone's using a game for, for a week or a month or something. And then it seems like there, there's a pretty big cliff for some of these. That's true. Um, we have found for the most part that, your your income does level out after, after at a point and then slowly trails off so you you have a huge spike at some point and then it comes down to the you know this natural line that you'll stay out for a very long time so th- there is that good good thing to know that if you're making money with your game that you'll continue to make money for quite a while um the the other thing to to really know about you know the app pricing strategies um if if you feel like your app is very niche, you know, like uh, Infinite Flight is a good example. It, it's really targeted toward people who like to pilot aircraft, and that's not something the entire population of the U.S. would like to play. Um, so that kind of game, you really want to. It, it needs to be built very solid, and then you can charge a high price, like four ninety nine or something like that. And and you just really have to focus on quality if you go that route. And the other route is if if your if your game targets everyone, like you know a ten year old can play it, a grandma can play it, you know, and they all have fun. Uh, that's when you really have to go for the, the low price, free game, ad supported, tap joy supported, um, and maybe have some in app purchases. And how's the the support story end up working there? Do you find that you get a lot of inbound requests of people having problems or or just needing any kind of support, or is it very much hands off once the game is out there? Yeah, we we tend to we always have a Facebook page for our games, and we get people asking questions all the time. Um, we we tend to get more how do I beat this or this is too hard um, than bugs, but we do get the bugs and. You know, it's helpful to actually talk with the customer over email. And, you know, it's if you give them a good experience, then you know they'll tell their friends. And maybe you'll get a few more downloads or post about it. Um, it. We've seen it a lot more. Like when a game is very popular, uh, we'll see people who will look us up on our website and call it, call the <laughs> call our phone number, which is kind of funny. You know, like we, got, <laughs> we we built an app uh, a little while ago called the Harlem Shake. Um, which, if you know what the Harlem Shake is, it's basically an app that does a Harlem Shake video. Uh, and that video, that app was crazy because we actually got the name The Harlem Shake on the App Store. <laughs> and, <laughs> and while that app was popular, I, I, our secretaries were, were kind of flipping out a little bit, you know, <laughs> what in the world, <laughs> like, asking for pointers on their Harlem Shake video. <laughs> I guess you guys really got in the market at just the right time for that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were lucky on that one, and and it's funny that you know that app didn't use MonoGame at all. It was just you know a Xamarin iOS app. And <laughs> my brother works at HitSense as well, and me and him and one designer we kind of teamed up and built it in one weekend. So 
<laughs> How are the uh, the downloads on that these days? You still getting any hits? Um, yeah, not not too many Harlem Shakers anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're still on that long trail I talked about. You know, where you know we're making a little bit every day um, of people who are slow to the meme. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who these people are. <laughs> It would actually be really interesting to like plot that by country, maybe. Like maybe you see the meme just kind of spreading country by country around the world. Yeah, yeah, that, that probably would be interesting. I, I wonder if we could, we could probably get that from sales or something. I, I should, I should look into that. Yeah, the Harlem Shake taking over Eastern Europe or something. <laughs> so anyway, you know, back on to to the real subject here. Um, you know, back on more of the, the development side of things, I, you know, again, you know, coming from, you know, not being a game developer, I'm curious, you know, what kind of tools are out there that you guys are using for, you know, either profiling or, you know, making assets or just just helping your, your game development in general? Um, yeah, helping assets is probably the biggest place we use tools. We, we use a, uh, I should have mentioned this earlier, um, you know, one way to get some better performance in your game is to pack all your images onto one big image, like a sprite sheet. Uh, and to do that, we use a piece of software called Texture Packer, which is it's pretty cheap. It's like, I think, like maybe $30. Um, and it's great. You can drag and drop images, and then it can export the locations of the images in different formats. And so, you know, we pick one that's natural to us and have our game load that format. And um, we wrote our engine to be able to load images either just straight from file or it'll check and see if it's a, a sprite sheet first and that kind of thing. Um, other tools we use are, are GIMP, um, mainly because our, our developers like free things that are open source, I guess. But, you know, GIMP can do a trick called posterizing where it can take the number of colors in an image and you know reduce it to 24 or whatever number you want to pick. And we just kind of pick the lowest one that still looks good and we can pack a lot more um, assets into our game by using that technique. Um, and along with that, we use another tool. It's called Smusher, uh, which it's, it's actually a Ruby gem that you can install. You can just gem install Smusher. And it will upload your images um, to a, a service called smush.it. And it will, in a lossless way, make the image smaller. So, like... I'm not exactly sure what it does. It seems like magic, but <laughs> somehow we'll shave off 20% on all your, your images, which is pretty, pretty nice. Um, besides that, we also use standard profilers. Like we use instruments quite a lot, uh, mainly just because it's better than uh, what you have on Android. Uh, so <laughs> we, we tend to profile on iOS and, and then it's the same code, you know, mostly. Uh, so just hope for the best on Android. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Eclipse does have some stuff in it, and we've played with some things, but Instruments is just really great. Um, so I think, you know, the, that pretty much covers, you know, what I had wanted to talk about. Um, but, you know, before we kind of wrap things up, is there anything that we missed or that, that you want to talk about before we go? Well, I'd, you know, have people can check out Battle Pillars or Draw Sick Man if you want to just go to hitsense.com slash games. Uh, Hitsense is spelled H-I-T-C-E-N-T-S, like you're hitting pennies. <laughs> That's what we always say. Um, 
Yeah, and if you if you're also looking for someone to do some you know business app development, you can look us up on that too. You know, we have a full, you know, we have 60 employees and a full design team. We have you know, people who work on the web, people who work on apps. So, cool. and where are you guys located? Uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, we we are in a small town, but I feel like that gives us um, you know some good local talent here. So. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thanks so much for for coming on the show. I mean, it, it was really great to to finally talk mono game on on the show and and really dig into some of this stuff. Uh, it, it was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. And thanks again to John, my co-host. And we'll see you all next time on Gone Mobile.